You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, good morning again. Great to be with you all today. Thanks for being here. I want to just express my gratitude as well to uh, Pastor Wes and Amy Amspoker and all of you ladies from Andrew's house just for the amazing work over across the street. It's awesome to see how God's been at work. I want to um, take just a couple minutes here at the start of my message, if I could, for some, um, for some family time. Can we do some family time? I want to say, uh, really just express my gratitude to you. Uh, I've been serving as the interim pastor for about seven months, and uh, it has been a great joy. You all are a wonderful group of people to interim pastor, and I think to pastor too, but uh, thank you. Thanks for just being uh, a joy and for uh, helping me along the way in that role. I also want to say a word of thanks to our staff Um, One of the things that I have heard most consistently during the last seven months is how uh, how seamless it has looked or how it's, it feels like we haven't missed a beat. That's just something that a lot of you have said to me. And I just wanna let you know that that's because of our staff. It's just because of their hearts to serve. It's because of the amazing uh, way that the Lord uses them, their willingness to, uh, to serve him. So a huge thanks to all of our team for uh, leading us through the interim period. And, uh, and the interim period is coming to a close because next Sunday, our new pastor will be here. And I also want to tell you, just kind of to close this uh, family time today, how excited I am about that. I'm excited about the next chapter. I'm uh, really looking forward to how the Lord is going to work in the next season here at Lima Community. And I want to challenge and invite you to welcome Pastor Chip and his family into our fellowship Uh, As I thought about just kind of what I wanted to say uh, during these opening remarks for the last, you know, our last interim day, last day of transition together, uh, one of the things that I thought was if if you all will be uh, will be to Pastor Chip and his family what you've been to myself and my family, then they will feel so at home. They will feel so loved. They will become part of our community quickly. And I hope that's what you will do to welcome them into our fellowship. I'm excited about what's to come, and I hope you are too. So, uh, all right, let's, let's keep moving. Next week, we're going to begin a new sermon series, uh, which makes sense because it's a new, a new season, a new chapter. And the new series is called Your Kingdom Come. I want to really encourage you to come and be a part of this six-week series. I think it's an important uh, series. It's an important opportunity for Pastor Chip to be able to introduce his, his vision for ministry to us, his, the dreams that God is laying on his heart for Lima Community Church. I think it's going to be an important time together, and I just want to challenge you and invite you to come to invest and engage and participate and be a part of this next season, this next chapter with us. And so we're going to, we're going to go through this series, Your Kingdom Come, and the kingdom is a, an important subject to us. It's a subject that we have talked a lot about here 
at Lima Community Church. It's also a subject that we uh, read a lot about in God's word. And one of the places that we see God's kingdom mentioned is in the, the passage that we know as the Lord's Prayer, the time when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We watched this short video uh, just a, a couple minutes ago featuring the Lord's Prayer. And uh, this, this phrase, your kingdom come, is found in the Lord's Prayer. Let's look at just this one verse from Matthew chapter six. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, this is how he taught them to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the series that we begin next week will focus on the first part of this phrase, your kingdom come. And today I want to talk to you about the second part of the phrase, what, what does it mean that when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think there are probably many things we could take away from this little phrase in the, this passage of scripture, but it, I, I've just got one that I wanna focus on today. It, it seems to me that if Jesus taught us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, it must mean that God's will is not always done on earth. Now, I wanna just confess to y'all this morning that I don't think I've got it all figured out Theologically, I think theology and, and the way that we talk and think about God is a pretty big thing. And, uh, and I love to think about it and I love to talk about it and read about it, but I'm not sure I've got it all mastered. You know, I think there are, there are probably some things theologically that I, that I hold on to that I may learn one of these days uh, I'm not right about. And I don't know if heaven is the kind of place where we're gonna be able to like talk about this stuff, but I could see, if it is, I could see Paul or one of the gospel writers maybe setting me straight in my theology a little bit and helping me see that, you know, maybe I didn't quite have it all just right. So I don't think I've got it all figured out, but I think I'm on pretty good scriptural foundation with this one. I don't think God's will is always done on earth. And so it always surprises me when something tragic happens and I hear well-meaning people say, well, it must have been God's will. You know, I, as a pastor, the time I hear this most frequently is at funerals when people with the very best of intentions say to those who are in mourning, well, it just must have been God's will. It must have been what God wanted. I think that uh, as I just again reflected on preaching on September 11th, recognizing that 21 years ago, there was a, there was a portion of, of the Christian world that was saying these tragic events must have been God's will. This must be what God wanted. Can God use these things? Yeah. Can he work in the midst of these things to, to shape us and to make us holy and, 
and to mold us more into his image? Of course he can. But is, is everything that happens in this life, on this earth, is all of it part of God's will? I don't think it is. I don't think Jesus would have, would have taught us to pray for God's will to be done on earth if God's will was always done on earth. And so to illustrate this today, I, I wanna spend some time in a passage of scripture from the Old Testament. Uh, this year I've been reading through the book of 1 Samuel. And I wanna give you a little context, uh, a little bit of the story that kind of leads up to the narrative that we're gonna read uh, together, read parts of together this morning. This is a story that um, my guess is maybe a new story to many of you. A lot of you may know this story, but I think a, a good refresher never hurts anyway. So Samuel was a prophet and a judge in the time when Israel was led by judges. The nation of Israel was led by judges. All of the other nations around Israel, their leaders were kings. They all had kings, but the people of Israel were different. They were God's chosen people. They were in this covenant relationship with God and, and God was their king. He was their leader. He was their ruler. And, and in this system, judges were appointed as people who essentially executed God's purposes for the people. Now, these are not, they're not quite like the judges that we would picture today with a black robe and a gavel. Uh, not quite like that, although they were responsible for judicial decisions. They were, they were really these all-encompassing leaders of the people. The judges in the Old Testament were, were spiritual leaders. They were wise counselors. They were the people who, who pervaded justice and compassion and mercy, and they helped the people uh, find their way morally. They were moral guides. And that was, that was God's preferred system for this period of Israel's history. And even though that was God's preferred system of, of government for Israel, it turned out that that system was about to change. You see, when Samuel reached old age, he did what many people would have done in that day. He named as his successor his sons. His sons followed him in, uh, in this ministry, but but Samuel's sons were not like Samuel. Samuel was a godly and a righteous leader and his sons were greedy and selfish and they began to accept bribes and they began to make decisions for the nation that were only in their own best interests and were not in the best interests of the people. And so the people were understandably dissatisfied with these new leaders and so they went to Samuel in his old age and they, they made a simple request. They said to Samuel, we want a king. This is all in the first eight chapters of the book of 1 Samuel, if you wanna uh, read up on, on any of those details. The people of Israel demanded a king. Now the text has been quite clear up to this point that it is, it is not God's will for Israel to have a king. 
And God tells Samuel to warn the people what will happen if in fact they are given a king. He tells Samuel to warn them that the king will take their sons and will make their sons leaders in the new military. That the king will take their daughters and will use them as cooks and as servants in his palace. And the king will take all the best of their land and their crops and their livestock and will use them to build his empire. And in spite of all that warning, the people insist on a king. And at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 8, God relents and gives in to their demand. Let's look at it together, beginning with verse 19 of chapter 8. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, we are determined to have a king over us so that we may also be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. For generations, God had made his will clear to the people of Israel. And so it, it seems very clear to me that in this story, we have an example of God's will not being done. It was not God's will for the people to have a king, but the, the people insisted on having a king. And so God allowed it to be. I wanna tell you one of the things I've come to believe about God. I believe that God has an end in mind. I, I believe this in a general sense and in, in uh, oftentimes I believe it in a particular sense too. But in a general sense, I think that God's end, God's goal for us is that his kingdom would come. And in, in this particular example, I believe God knew the best way for his kingdom to come to the people of Israel in this era was for them not to have a king. But when God saw that they refused to do it his way, what, what happens in the story? Does God throw his hands up? Does he, does he give up? Does he say, forget it? <laughs> We've been through this so many times. No, that's not what God does at all. And, and as we continue in the narrative, we, we will see exactly what God does. As, as chapter eight turns to chapter nine, the story immediately turns to the description of a young man named Saul. Now, Saul, we know, was the young man who would become the first king of Israel, but, but this first introduction to Saul, is uh, he, he's given an assignment in this first introduction by his father that is not very kingly, it's not very royal at all. Saul's father's name was Kish, and Kish had some donkeys, and Kish's donkeys had run away. And Kish did not have access to the Allen County donkey warden. <laughs> and so Kish had to send out Saul, his son Saul, 
And another servant, a young man from his household, he sent them out to try to find the donkeys. And these boys went out and they searched for three days for Kish's donkeys without any luck. And, and after three days, Saul realizes, you know what? Uh, and eventually, dad is not gonna worry about the donkeys anymore. And he's gonna be worried about me, about you know, his son and, and his servant. And so uh, we're gonna pick the story up there in verse five of chapter nine. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to the young man who was with him, let us turn back or my father will stop worrying about the donkeys and worry about us. But the, the young man, the servant said to Saul, there is a man of God in this town. He is a man held in honor. Whatever he says always comes true. Let us go there now. And perhaps he will tell us about the journey on which we have set out. And so Saul says we better head home. But the servant boy from Kish's house, this unnamed person in the story, he says, no, there is a man of God in this town who I think can help us. And the man of God he's talking about is Samuel. And so these two young men go off to try to find Samuel to see if Samuel might know where those donkeys are. Now, I've got to admit that the story to this point is not Oscar worthy. It is not the most exciting Bible story so far. It's, I think it's Encyclopedia Brown and the case of the missing donkeys is kind of what we've got so far. But, and if you don't know who Encyclopedia Brown is, that's, I'm dating myself a little bit there. But these, these two boys are just out searching for donkeys and there's no hint really that one of them is gonna play a critical role in Israel's story. He's gonna be a very consequential person. But a few verses later in verse 15, we get this, this interesting turn. The scripture says, now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be ruler over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen the suffering of my people, because their outcry has come to me. And when Samuel saw Saul the next day, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall rule over my people. Now in this, in this little section, in these couple verses, I feel like the story turns from mundane to incredible. I think this is a story suddenly that's not about lost donkeys anymore, but instead it's a narrative about God's choice for the king of Israel. And there are a lot of fascinating things in this little passage that I want, to, uh, I want to just look at together this morning. First of all, we haven't read all of chapter nine. We've just taken bits and pieces of chapter nine. But if you were to read all of chapter nine, this would still be true. Do you notice what God never says in, in what we've read in chapter nine? Do you notice what God never says? What God never says is, well, this isn't what I wanted, but here is your king. 
He never says, this wasn't my will, this wasn't my plan, this wasn't my first choice, but since you insisted, here you go. God never sidles up to someone and says, I wouldn't have done it this way. There is no reservation whatsoever in this passage about Israel having a king. It wasn't God's will. We know it wasn't God's will. Samuel knew it wasn't. The people of Israel knew it wasn't. Everyone knows it wasn't God's will for Israel to have a king. But once the people made their choice, God moved on with them to bring about his will and his plan anew again. I think that's a fascinating thing. Second, not only does God not continually remind them they didn't do it his way, he doesn't remind them of that. Not only does he not remind them of that, but he goes so far as to intimately involve himself in the process of selecting their king. Even though a king was the last thing God wanted for Israel, when it became clear that Israel would settle for nothing less than a king, God entered the process with them and chose the king for them. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't destiny. It wasn't fate that sent Saul to Samuel that day. God was highly involved. And that leads me to the third amazing thing about this story. When we read the passage that started with verse 15, the passage where the story turns from not very exciting to pretty, pretty interesting. <laughs> verse 15 is where God says to Samuel, tomorrow I'm going to send to you a young man from the tribe of Benjamin, and that is the man you will anoint as king. but do you realize that that's only half the story? It, it's only half the story, right? It, I mean, it's, it's fine for God to say to Samuel, I'm going to send Saul to you tomorrow, but what about Saul? How is Saul, how, how is he supposed to know that he has to go see Samuel the next day? Well, to answer that, we've got to go back to the young, unnamed servant who was on a donkey hunting expedition with Saul. Do you remember what happened after they searched for three days, after, after Saul said, hey, we better head home or, or dad's going to worry about us? And, and his friend, he said, no, there's, there's a man of God here. There's a prophet, a seer, and we should go visit him and maybe he can help us. Now, this isn't spelled out explicitly in the text, but as I've read this text over the last few months, this, this is what has jumped off the page at me. Without this young man, without this person who seems so inconsequential to the story that we don't even know his name, without him saying, let's go see Samuel, how would God's word to Samuel have come true? 
God told Samuel that Saul was coming to see him, but God had to have some way to get Saul there. How did God do it? Well, I want to tell you that here at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene, we're good Wesleyans. And we don't think that God puppet mastered it. We don't think that God's hand sort of came down from heaven and, and picked Saul up and moved him over here in front of Samuel. That's not how we think God works. It looks to me, and I don't think this is a stretch from an interpretation standpoint, it, it just looks like God used this young unnamed person to get Saul to Samuel. Now, I don't have any idea how this young man knew about Samuel. I think there are some things we might be able to deduce about it. As, as Israel's judge, Samuel had a traveling circuit. He was kind of a traveling judge and, and made his way to the different regions where he served. And, and he likely traveled near Kish's home and the text tells us that Samuel was held in high regard. He was honored and respected. And this young man may have, may have encountered Samuel and known about him in that way. But it also seems to me quite likely that the spirit of God was at work, that the spirit of God was moving in the life of this young man in the story, that the prevenient grace of God was at work leading this young man to say what he said, to insist on the visit to Samuel. And, and thus did God's word to Samuel about Saul come to be. So here's what I think. I think the minute the Israelites decided to wander away from God's will. In this case, God's will being that, that Israel not have a king. I think the minute the Israelites strayed from God's best plan, I think God went back to work. I think he went back to work using their very desire for something less than him to bring about his kingdom to bring about his end, to bring about the plan that he had in mind. You see, on their, on their journey to the end goal, to God's vision, to God's kingdom, the Israelites took some detours. We know this. If, we've, if we're students of the Old Testament, we know the Israelites took some wrong turns and made some decisions that were decidedly not God's will not God's best plan for them. And when that happened, I want to I want to point out to you today what God did. God kept walking with them. He kept journeying with them. He continually pointed a path in the right direction to them. A path back toward the goal he had for them, a path back to his kingdom. And, and because I believe the character of God is consistent, I want to tell you what this means for you and for me today. No matter what choice you have made, 
even if you have made a decision that was clearly outside God's will, clearly outside God's plan for your life, no matter what choice you have made, God has not given up on you. God has not thrown up his hands. He's not said, forget it. He's not said, I've tried too many times. No matter what you have done, I wanna tell you what I believe about God. I believe this with all my heart, that God is working now to pave a way back to his best plan for you. He's working now to pave a way back to his will for your life right now. I believe this is what God's doing. Would you bow your heads with me today? I imagine that there are some of us here today who are wrestling with with decisions that we may have made. Decisions that may have led us away from God's best plan for our life. Decisions that even in the moment we knew were not God's will. And if that's you, and if you are, if you are wandering in the wilderness, God wants to help you find your way back. I wanna give you just a minute of quiet to listen to the voice of the Spirit who wants to lead you back to his best plan, his best will for your life. Just take a minute of quiet and pray to him and listen for him. Father, we thank you today for how you work and how you lead and guide and speak. And God, I pray for each one of us here. I pray if we have wandered away from from your will and we know it, I pray you'd bring us back. I pray you'd show us the, the path on which we need to walk to get back and help us take that next step, maybe that first step to get back where you want us to be. God, would you remind us that we are surrounded every day by people who think that everything that happens to them is part of your plan. And God, if if there is a person here today 
who, who is believing the lie that, that something tragic in their life is a result of punishment from you, would you speak truth to them through us or through your spirit? And God, would you remind us today that we live in a world in which we have to pray for your will to be done because it's not always done. Help us to be people who bring your will and who bring your kingdom wherever we go. Walk with us this week. Thank you for the truth of your word. May it change us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna invite you to stand with me if you would this morning for just a, a parting thought as we go this week. You know, I want you to think about the, the unnamed young man in the story. And I want you to recognize that, that without his cooperation, without his sensitivity and without his obedience, God would have had to find another way to get Saul to Samuel. That unnamed young man played a critical part in God's will being done. This week, God's spirit may be speaking to you and you may not have any idea how your obedience your sensitivity, your cooperation with his spirit may be impacting his will for somebody else's life. So do what that unnamed servant did and obey when God speaks to you. You have no idea how it might change the world. God bless you as you go. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.